0: Hear the word of the Lord from Nehemiah six fifteen through 7, 4. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah. And his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name is Tyler. I will be your substitute teacher for the day. I'm going to ask that you treat me better than I treated my substitutes when I was in school. Again, I want to thank you for your friendship and your partnership in the gospel. Uh, Sacred City is a part of our story in Detroit, Michigan. Because of your prayers and your support, uh, we were able to plant a church that is pushing back darkness making disciples, and planting other churches out of our church in the wonderful, beautiful, not-as-cold city of Detroit, Michigan. So, um, so thank you, sincerely. Thank you for your, your partnership in the gospel. Uh, is very, very much appreciated. So uh, as, as your church continues to go through Ezra and Nehemiah, I've been tasked with closing out chapter 6 and starting chapter 7. Uh, These two books detail God rebuilding his people after the Babylonian exile. After rejecting God and choosing idolatry, uh, having the holy city laid to waste and uh, being exiled to Babylon, God's people were returning home. Finally, they were in the process of returning home. Judah was in the process of receiving her people back. Verse 15. Oh, I'm, I'm reading from a different translation. I'm reading from the CSB, the Cornerstone Standard Bible, or Christian, whichever you prefer. Um, I, I, I just assumed that they made that translation for our church. Um, verse 15, the wall, the wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of Eol. Rebuilding Jerusalem's broken walls was a project that uh, many thought should never have been undertaken Uh, And then after it began, most people thought that it was futile. It would not be completed. But despite facing internal and external resistance on every side, the wall was completed under Nehemiah's leadership. Nehemiah's enemies and his detractors did everything they could do to hinder him. They, They relentlessly mocked his efforts. Due to Judah's current circumstance of being a poor, under-resourced, exiled people scattered throughout the nations, this project appeared too big and too many problems seemed prevalent for this project to be completed. But the burden that God gave Nehemiah while he was serving in Persia became a reality Not to mention this massive, seemingly impossible project was completed by common people in only 52 days. Despite their shortcomings, despite the adversity they faced, the wall was complete in remarkable time. Commentator Marvin Brenneman put it this way, the best answer to opposition is to keep working and fulfill God's will. Thus others will see God's power, end quote. Obviously, it's going to look very different in our lives. Obviously, it's going to look very different in the Quad Cities and in Detroit, but I believe the Lord desires to use us to accomplish things that we could not do outside of His strength. Let me repeat that. He he desires to use our lives, use our our families, use our churches, use our marriages, use us to accomplish things that we could not do outside of his strength. Don't let the size of the task, don't, don't let the challenges you face, don't, don't let the time that it will take to accomplish it keep you from what the Lord is calling you to do for his glory and for his namesake. With God's strength and for his glory, it can be done. Verse 16, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Verse 16, we see the tables have turned on the enemies of God's people. From the very start of this project, these jokers were attempting to scare and discourage and hinder Nehemiah and God's people. Now the very same enemies that mocked, harassed, threatened were now silenced. The ones who arrogantly breathed threats were now intimidated and shaken. They weren't intimidated by Nehemiah. They, they weren't intimidated by the wall. They weren't intimidated by the people of Judah. They were intimidated by their God. The enemies of God had no other choice but to take a step back and realize that this was the sovereign hand of God intervening on behalf of his people. This wasn't happenstance. This wasn't luck. This, this wasn't merely the tremendous leadership of Nehemiah. This was Divine intervention. They rightly concluded that God accomplished this feat, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. That phrase um, they lost their confidence was a was a little Hebrew um, little Hebrew uh, axiom that meant their pride suddenly vanished. Even as the the opposition increased, as as more bricks as as, as the wall began to go up, the the uh, the opposition increased. As the opposition increased, because of Sambo and Tobiah, that just resulted in more people seeing what God would accomplish. They were rocked by the power of God. Um. Let Let me make it plain, like Jane. Uh, um. The people around us, the the people around us, the people, our our neighbors, our coworkers, our our classmates, the the people around us should see and acknowledge God's grace and his handiwork in our lives, not us. They should look into our lives. They they should hear our our speech. They should see our grace. They should see our our kindness. They should see the, 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 the love that permeates from the gospel. They should see that and acknowledge that There must be a God involved in this person's life. Family, it's not about us. It's not about me because we are empowered by the Lord, not our strength. People should see the glory of God. People should hear the gospel uh, falling from your lips and acknowledge God must be involved. This person suffered such great loss and they still have joy. This, this person was harmed so, so, so deeply and still they walk in forgiveness. These people walk and live life together, together despite disagreements, despite uh, different uh, life ideologies and they still love each other and forgive each other. That must be God. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father in heaven. The constant question should be how and why as we shine the light of the gospel in very dark places. And just like with, the, with Nehemiah's enemies, the answer is God. He gets the glory and we get the joy. Let's keep going. During those days, the nobles of Judah... Sent many letters to Tobiah and Tobiah, Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him since, uh, since he was the son of Ni- he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of uh, Azrah um, and he was the son of jo- jo- Johaniah and was married to the daughter of Meshalum and the son of Bechariah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me. And they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Now this is interesting. After Nehemiah's successful project, building the wall, and, 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 and what seemed like a victory, Tobiah is still lurking in the shadows. He just won't go away. This guy would not allow the work of God to go without being opposed. Nehemiah can't rest on his laurels because his opponents were still there. Nehemiah tells us that there was an, an ancient group chat that was created with Tobiah and some of the royal families. But Nehemiah happened to be left out of this group chat. And the reason Nehemiah was left out of the group chat was because he was the subject of this group chat? Have you ever found out you were the subject of a group chat or an email chain or a Facebook message thread, and you found out that you were left out because you were the subject? Has that ever, that fun times. You know, we, we, were, we were talking, a few of us were talking, and, and it's usually nothing good. You, you're usually not left out because they're planning a birthday party for you. <laughs> That's usually not the reason. But despite his resounding victory, Tobiah isn't giving up easy. He is still seeking to oppose. He is still seeking to undermine Nehemiah's leadership. But now he's taking a different approach. Rather raging threats and accusation, he is now switching to subtle manipulation. Now in chapter 6, Tobiah is offering the same venomous words, but he's offering them with a smile because of his social connection, his, his marital relationship, and his influence. He has major clout. He has major cachet. That phrase, bound by an oath in verse 18, refers to some kind of business or covenantal relationship that was struck. Now, the nobles, the, the royal families, were uh, uh, um, they now had divided Loyalty you had Nehemiah on one hand the the godly leader who was leading them and leading this campaign to rebuild Jer- to rebuild Jerusalem and on the other hand you have Tobiah who was saying little subtle things undermining the leadership of Nehemiah since he couldn't stop the wall project and he couldn't stop the city from being rebuilt. His, his new strategy, Tobias' new strategy, was apparently to cause division between the noble families and Nehemiah. It is likely not intentional, but these noble families uh, um, gave a man who was attempting to destroy everything, they gave him a seat at the table and gave him a place of input. This is actually some evil genius. This is some next-level evil genius that that Tobiah is employing. He he is now causing the nobles in the royal family to second-guess all of Nehemiah's decisions. Ah, and I don't know about that. Well, we were talking with Tobiah, and he messaged us last night, and he said, instead of doing this, we should do it that way. What do you think? These royal families had no idea that they were being pawns. But Nehemiah exposes it and tells them that he was receiving threatening letters, letters still attempting to intimidate him by to buy. I have two quick takeaways right here. First, please hear this. The mission is too critical for division. The mission is too critical for division. Notice this, family. Please notice this. The, the enemy sought to drive a wedge between Nehemiah and those he he, he was leading. This is the classic divide and conquer. Satan, our enemy, employs the same tactic today. Can I be honest for a moment? The unfortunate reality is the body of Christ uh, at large, the body of Christ in our country is greatly divided, and there's great discord. Sadly, we've allowed secondary issues, political leanings, personal preferences. We've allowed these things to divide us and ruin our witness. Instead of Fighting for unity, fighting for peace in the body of Christ, we're fighting over secondary issues. We we are fighting over things that have no eternal significance. Very often, our witness to a lost and dying world is compromised because they see us tearing each other apart. They see churches splitting. They see churches tearing pastors down. They see people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters in the faith. Arguing, fighting, social matters. These things have some importance. Political matters. These things have some importance, but they have often very little eternal significance. On the local level, Divide and conquer is routinely used in local churches and tears church families apart. I've seen it. I've seen the enemy come in and destroy churches. When the enemy employs divide and conquer and and the saints fall forward, leadership is undermined. Factions begin to sprout up. Discord is birthed. And the great commission, what we're called to do, make disciples of all the nations, is put on the back burner. The mission is too critical for division. Listen to what Paul prescribes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter, chapter 2 tells us that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus, established our peace and unity with God and with one another. Before the cross, we were the enemies of God and we were enemies with one another. But after what Jesus accomplished, We were reconciled to the Father. Read Ephesians 2. We were reconciled to the Father and also recognized, uh, excuse me, reconciled to one another. Now you have a new father. Now you have a new family. The cross reconciled us to God and reconciled us to one another. Now in him. Now the the peace that Jesus, the peace and unity that Jesus uh, um, uh, established, we have to maintain. He says, maintain that unity. Maintain it, we have to keep it. I have a question for you, Sacred City. Will you prioritize peace and unity so the mission won't be hindered? You have lost neighbors. You you have lost family members. There's a vast, wide mission field that needs to hear the gospel needs to be invited to biblical, to, into biblical community. Will you maintain unity and peace so the mission of God won't be hindered? First, the mission is too critical for a division. Secondly, our enemy is always in attack mode. Despite the wall being up, Nehemiah's enemies are still. On attack mode, Judah's enemies won't be content until they are completely destroyed. This is to be expected because it goes all the way back to eternity's past. Satan and, and his angels fell from heaven. Then Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And ever since then, God's enemies have always been on the offensive. Raymond Brown, Bible commentator, said, Behind these various attacks on God's servant, there stands a far more sinister enemy than Samballot and Tobiah. These men are merely pawns in the devil's manipulative campaign to frustrate God's work. End quote. My brothers and sisters, please hear this. Every single day you're on the battlefield. If you name the name of Christ, every day you are in a spiritual war. There is a real enemy who hates God and who hates you. Your family is under attack. Your soul is under attack. Your church is under attack. Your church's leadership is under attack. Daily, Satan brings temptation, slander, accusation, and demonic attacks against the people of God. Satan is not some imaginary, uh, some imaginary creation that some human created to cause fear and manipulation. I've heard that theory. We have a cosmic enemy who's on a seek and destroy mission. These men who were attacking Nehemiah had no idea that they were being employed by the Prince of Darkness. The people who hurt and harm and attack us. They're not our enemies. Ephesians 6 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's it's principalities. They're under the influence of Satan. So how do we respond? How how do we respond to the reality that every single day we are in a war? 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. First, we have to be spiritually alert. We have to be spiritually alert and we have to resist the enemy. We are to be watchful against the attacks of the enemy. And we're not to yield when he he appears. Family, every single day, we must start and center our lives, center our hearts on the gospel. We must be sober-minded. We must stand firm because we are in a war. Many of us think we can take spiritual PTO days while Satan works 365 says, he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As a pastor, I see this often. Oh, pastor, this is just a rough season for my family. We're going to take a couple Sundays off. You know, this is a really busy time of year, so we won't be able to do missional community. There are no spiritual PTO days. We have a real enemy who wants to destroy us. And we need each other to fight this war. The only reason we can stand firm, the only reason we can resist, because our enemy was defeated once and for all on the cross. We don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Satan will roar and Satan will show his teeth. But the greater lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has given us victory through his death and resurrection. We don't resist in our own strength. We don't resist in our own power. We stand firm through the resurrection power of Jesus. Let's go to chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 1. When the wall had been rebuilt and I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers and singers and Levites were appointed. Then I put my brother Hananiah in charge of Jerusalem along with Hananiah, commander of the fortress because he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. Don't miss this. Nehemiah's foot is always on the gas. The wall is up. He's not resting on, resting on his Lord. All right, my job is done. Some of us would have went back to Persia to that nice cushy job he had. Like, no, the job's not done. The wall is up, but we need to secure the wall. But notice this, he appoints gatekeepers, singers and Levites not, not only to maintain, not, not, not only to maintain the wall, but to stir up God's people to worship. He, he was concerned about the physical protection of the wall, but he also put in spiritual safeguards to be, for, for Judah to be centered on the worship of Yahweh. He appointed singers and Levites or priests to lead the community in adoration and reverence to God. The singers were to lead people in song, and the Levites were to lead them back to the truth of the Word of God, because that is what got them into exile. They rejected God. They they rejected His commands. They rejected His truth. They rejected worshiping Him, and they went to idols, and they fell into exile. So now Nehemiah says, now that the wall is up, we're going to put around, we're going to put up a physical safeguard, but we're going to put spiritual safeguards as well, re-centering them back on the worship of Yahweh was necessary, was crucial, because again, it was the idol worship and departing from God's truth that led to the destruction of the city in the first place. His aim was to ensure that God was at the center of their lives and the center of their hearts, both personally and corporately. Verse 2, Nehemiah appoints two men, Hananiah and Hananiah. Um, They were not twins. They were not identical twins. One was his brother, and his brother was the one who uh, got the ball rolling. It was his brother's report all the way back in chapter 1 that stirred uh, uh, Nehemiah's heart. It broke his heart when he heard about the destruction. He moved forward, and the rest is history. But notice this. He appoints leaders. He, he appoints these two men. Notice what he looks for as to lead God's people. Not a charismatic leader. Not, not, not a commanding personality. Not intellectual prowess. Not, not a warrior. Not a skilled soldier. Not, not an effective communicator. Not all the things we would have looked for. I love verse 2. He says, Hananiah... Was a faithful man who feared God more than most. What an amazing description. What an amazing description. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness or, or fidelity is remaining loyal, remaining trustworthy, and constantly or a level of consistency despite extenuating circumstances. It's, it's your. your, your your, your commitment is not based on the circumstances you experience. That's not faithfulness. Faithfulness. Jesus talks about this in multiple parables. In the kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, faithfulness precedes promotion and preeminence and positioning. People got elevated. People will be elevated based on their level of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Not personality. Not charisma. Not, 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 even, not even gifting. Jesus is looking for faithfulness. Dr. Crawford Lorette said, greatness is not spelled recognition. Greatness is spelled faithfulness. Secondly, that he feared God. What does it mean to fear God? Fearing the Lord or or reverence is a sincere level of honor and a, a, a sense of awe at God and his characteristics. Fearing God does not mean that we are afraid of him I'm a father. I have five children. I I don't want any of my children to be afraid of me, but they're going to put some respect on my name. (laughs) They're they're not going to treat me like they treat their friends. They're going to have a certain level of honor for me as their father. Fearing God is honoring him. It's obeying him. It's submitting to his discipline and worshiping him in awe. It was this faithfulness and this reverence that these were the key characteristics that Nehemiah needed in the man to, to, to lead his people. Faithfulness and fearing him. Although other qualities may seem more impressive, faithfulness and reverence will stand the test of time in godly leadership and godly service. My brothers and sisters, I believe the Lord Jesus is still looking for faithful men and women, and men and women that reverence his name, that honor him. Let's begin to conclude with verse 3 and 4. Then I said to them, do not open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is hot, and let the doors be shut and securely fastened while the guards are on duty. Station the citizens of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some in the, uh, at their homes. The city was large and spacious, but there were a few people in it, and no houses had been built yet. Verse three, Nehemiah gives some final instructions to ensure the safety of the city. He wanted to be just as intentional about securing the city as he was about building it, seeing the city was uh, mostly vacant and abandoned. There was a few people living there. He he told them that they were responsible to watch and guard the wall. Then in verse 4, he describes the city. Despite the wall being completed, the city was still under construction because they had not begun to build homes yet. It was practically empty. What does this have to do with us? What what does this have to do with us? I believe the, the rebuilding and the restoring of Jerusalem for God's people during the day of Nehemiah is only a preview of what he has in store for us. Family, to those who have surrendered, To the Lord Jesus Christ, we will live in the new Jerusalem with him. I know it's hard to believe, but one day, the Jerusalem that they've been fighting for (laughs) and fighting over for hundreds of years, one day, the Jerusalem will be no more. One day, the Quad Cities will be no more. As much as I love my city One day, Detroit, Michigan will be no more. One day, the only city left standing will be the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Listen to Revelation 21. Let's fast forward all the way to the end of the story. Revelation 21. John saw this revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. John gives us a glorious glimpse of the new Jerusalem. What a sight! Because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were redeemed and we will inhabit this new Jerusalem, an eternal Jerusalem. One day, my brothers and sisters, the holy city of God will be filled with all those who were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. One day, my brothers and sisters, all evil, all evildoers, all of the enemies of God will be under the mighty foot of King Christ once and for all, those who slander him, those who mock us, those who seek to hinder us from following the Lord Jesus Christ, will be no more. One day, my brothers and sisters, Satan himself will be no more. and We will dwell with Christ forever. One day the Lord Jesus Christ as a husband takes his bride will take us and we will spend all eternity with our God. This this Jerusalem that Nehemiah and company rebuilt is is just an earthly preview of a heavenly reality. One day it's going to wipe away every tear. One day All sickness, all pain, all opposition, COVID, cancer, everything will cease and we'll be with the Lord Jesus forever. One day, it'll all be worth it. One day, all of the opposition we face on earth will be worth it when we see our Christ. But until then... He's calling us to build. He's, he's calling us to be faithful in hard times. He's calling us to reverence and worship in a world that has nothing but mocking and slandering. Let's pray. Lord, you, are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, we thank you for this preview. We thank you that what you did through Nehemiah and and this humble group you seek to do in our day. You seek to use our lives, use our efforts, use use our, our service to build your kingdom on earth. You desire to use our lives to draw lost men, women, and children to you. Lord, help us to be a people to, to be a people who live in such a way that people look and see our lives, see our families, hear our speech, see our churches, and say, there must be a God. Help them to see the grace of the gospel in our lives. Lord, help us by your Spirit, by your strength, to do the things you're calling us to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.